Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hello and welcome to Sports Tonight. I am Rob Shields, and of course, as always, I'm joined by Chris Stoner. Um, we have been on a little bit of a hiatus, obviously not a ton to talk about, but you know, with things starting to ramp up, it looks like we'll be able to you know, get some things on the uh, agenda here to, to, to be able to discuss some, some topics. Um, we can start off with the idea that, you know, will baseball be being brought back? It's kind of seemingly up in the air at this moment. Players, of course, it's arguing about money, um, but, you know, I, I, I understand their concerns are valid. Uh, I hope I would hope to think that they could find some kind of common ground here sometime over the next few days. I was hoping when we started the show we'd have a uh, finalized uh, baseball agreement, but understand how negotiations work. Um, based off your comments on the board, I think we're of like mind that if there's one party we hold responsible here, it would probably be the owners. Uh, they have a uh, you know, obviously a larger share. Ultimately, I don't know how you feel. My opinion is that the players who have a uh, relatively short life of earning power, uh, you know, they're only going to play so long that I would expect that they're going to wind up agreeing to a deal which will give them some money versus nothing. <laughs> There's only so many years in their career. Uh, but, you know, potentially... Maybe not, but let's go on the optimistic side. Say there is going to be baseball this year. Uh, this, the players have submitted a uh, proposal for a longer season than what the owners suggested, but I think if there is baseball in 2020, we're looking at an 82-game season, 30-man rosters, active rosters, plus 20-man taxi squad. Uh, let's just talk about uh, what that would look like, particularly for the, for the Orioles there. Yeah, I, I... – there's going to be some things that'll be interesting to me, like uh, I, you know, the service time stuff, uh, how that's going to be. But I, in some ways, I think this will this will really hurt the Orioles because I do think it's important that they get a lot of time for some of these guys to be here and play at this level. Obviously, no minor leagues, uh, which is really going to be a problem with with the development of some of these kids. Uh, there is some talk of an extended Arizona Fall League, which would at least give them something. But obviously, that's still only going to give them so many at-bats and so many innings. But there is the other side to it that <clears throat> some of these guys are going to get thrown into this maybe a little earlier than the Orioles preferred them to. And I don't necessarily know that that's a bad thing, uh, especially since it's going to be a small sample size. So I don't think you're going to be risking ruining anybody's career or anything like that this year. Um, <clears throat> you know... My guess is for a while you're going to see very few pitchers going deep into games, so it's going to allow the Orioles to maybe get a look at a lot of these young arms, the, the Bruce Zimmermans and Dean Kremers and Alex Wells and, and Zach Lothers and all those types of players that we've talked about before. So these guys being able to get um, some major league seasoning, even if they're not quite ready, I don't necessarily look at it as a bad thing. I just wish they had a little bit more time to develop in the minors. I'm very curious to see what the taxi squad would look like, uh, both in terms of 
exactly who's on it, uh, what it means in terms of uh, options, or if there would be just one-off rules for 2020. Yeah, what's their eligibility to being uh, moved on to the active roster? Um, and also, I mean, you talk about development-wise. If you figure you have your best prospects on that taxi squad, and making sure that they're getting regular direct instruction from you, and you're thinking about guys like uh, Rodriguez and Hall and uh, Rashman, of course. I mean, you're not expecting them to be – I don't think anybody would expect them to be promoted to the majors, but it's what, what would they be doing for their development? I mean – are they getting? Uh, are they playing other camps? <laughs> are they getting any uh, competition, or is it just all, you know, extended spring training instruction, which is uh, not a total lost year like coming off an injury, but it's it certainly changes the uh, the expectation of when you would have these guys both ascending to the majors and when they would start being productive. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's the big key. I mean, look, obviously everybody's going to be in the same boat for this. So everybody is going to have their prospects push back a year on when they can expect to have to help from get get help from them. But from the Orioles' standpoint, what, you, you can debate what year they're targeting for when they think they're going to start to contend. But what's not debatable is that they need the current players in the system to be the players that form their core and form the the foundation for them to be able to contend. And it's very likely that whatever that window is, that this is going to push them back a year. Now, there is the other side to that, that it's also possible that the mid-level guys, some of the pitchers I just named, maybe a Ryan Mountcastle, Diaz, some of these guys that maybe won't be your upper tier core guys, but the other guys who, who might get a lot more playing time and that could help. Yeah. They get moved up, uh, yeah, potentially there. So let's look at the, uh, uh, earlier this week, put up a, an article and I had what my projected 30 man roster was. Let's go position unit by position unit and see where you agree, where you potentially disagree. Catcher, um, you know, I just had two, but with a 30 man roster, you could pair potentially carry three. I'm showing Severino and Cisco. Do you think they carry a third there? I think it's possible, but I would probably lean towards no. Obviously, there'll be a third on the taxi squad for them to be able to bring, maybe even four, maybe even there might be, you know, like you said, Rutschman might be on there and somebody else. But they, they, you know, I, I think that there's definitely going to be other players there. But I, I don't know that there's anybody that you can justify because I think there's going to be a heck of a lot more pitching, especially in relief. Uh, infield, uh, I had six infielders listed. Davis at first, Alberto at second, Iglesias at short, Ruiz at third. And the two bench uh, players I had, which seemed to be the, la- uh, the leaders as the original spring training was ended, was uh, – uh, Velasquez and uh, Valakia. Uh, any uh, any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> those two certainly could be interchangeable. I mean, uh, Elias brought in several middle infield utility type guys. Uh, it's possible he could lean on one guy or another more than those two. But I mean, 
whatever. I mean, yeah. I they're they're as good a guess as anybody else. Uh, DH, I'm saying essentially two, which uh, Nunez and Stewart. Uh, Nunez maybe potentially helped. Uh, you know, I I hate to say helped by. Uh, the cancer scare uh, for uh, Mancini. Yeah, Mancini for Trey, but uh, without that other bat in the middle of the lineup, uh, Nunez to me probably gets most of the majority of the time at DH. Uh, and Stewart, I would figure, kind of rotates between uh, DH first uh, and left and right. So I, I figured they're both there. Yeah, I, you, you, your wording was good there. You, you hate to say, you know, kind of take advantage of Mancini's situation. But the bottom line is, is it is a next man up situation. And, you know, you figure a guy like Mancini, I mean, I'm sorry, a guy like DJ Stewart, Diaz, Eusniel Diaz, those guys are going to be the ones that can probably benefit the most from that because obviously they have to put somebody in those positions. Um, it'll be, you know, we'll, we'll get to somebody like Dwight Smith Jr., but it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what kind of rope that they have with some of these veteran players. And I'll, and I'll even include Chris Davis in that, although Chris Davis has probably salvaged himself to be here for the whole season, given that the fact that it's going to be a half a year. But um, it'll be interesting to see how much rope they give to some of these veteran guys if they're not producing versus just saying we're throwing the kids in there right now. So... In March, when we were projecting a 162-game season and a 26-man roster, uh, I was showing four outfielders, Smith Jr., Hayes, Santander, uh, Mason Williams. Uh, if we're thinking now, starting in July, an 82-game season, uh, a difference for me is I have Mountcastle in left, again, Hayes in center, Santander, his better arm in right and then probably either Mason Williams or potentially Diaz there as the fourth uh, outfielder. My thought with Mountcastle was uh, the Orioles weren't going to bring him up in a regular season until they gained the additional year of eligibility in this shorter season where, to me, I would think the priority would be getting him uh, game experience. Uh, I kind of would expect at this point for him to uh, uh, take over left to start the year. You? Yeah, I, I don't know if they'll be ready to throw him in the outfield. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he starts the year on the team. If the thought process is, is they want him in the outfield this year at the major league level to test him, I could see them keeping him down in extended spring training until, let's say, August 1st as, as a target date. Essentially, he's down in the season for a month. It, it allows them to get that service time. And it allows them to to pretend that the only reason that they sent him down was to give him more time in the outfield. Um, you know, that won't obviously be the main reason, but it's what they'll say. <laughs> so I, I, I tend to think that they won't start with him in left field. Now, if he's been, for all we know, is he's been working on it a ton since spring training. And, you know, maybe he comes in and, you know, they do a two or three week mini spring training type thing and he looks pretty good and they bring him up and that's fine. But I, I, I'm still going to go off the assumption that they're, if, if they're able to steal the service time this year, which, you know, I guess that's still up in the air. But if they're able to steal some time, I think they're going to try to do it. Um, 
probably with the thought of what's the difference between him playing, you know, 65 games and 82 games or, or whatever it ends up being, just to make sure they get that extra year. Uh, the other thing to note there, again, I said I had uh, a 162-game season. I would have started the year probably with Smith Jr. in the left. Again, Mountcastle probably would have been back in the minors for me. In the 82-game season, I don't have Smith Jr. on the roster because I don't think he makes for a great fourth outfielder as he's not particularly strong defensively. He's pretty much limited to the uh, Again, moving to starting pitching, I, I had – Again, in March, five-man projected rotation was Means, Cobb, Wojciechowski, LeBlanc, and Malone. What a collection of arms there. Uh, now, in an 82-game season, my, you know, my feeling is that you know, Means and Cobb, obviously, I probably would give the nod to, or at least expect the Orioles to go with uh, Wojciechowski as the third, but... I would kind of lean to utilizing Aking and Kremer as the fourth and fifth over LeBlanc and Malone again with the idea of I'm not worried about the service time of Aking and Kremer at all. And fr- frankly, I, I, you know, not only do I would I rather see them versus LeBlanc and Malone, it's uh, it's more important for them to face competition than for them to be in expe- extended spring getting ready. That's my thoughts. What would you like to see? Um, I think they probably go with the veteran guys, um, at least in the beginning. Um, I would like to see the young kids, in, especially in this case. I, I, I'm with you. I don't really care about their service time. I, I actually, in a lot of ways, I, personally, part of me just wants to see the Orioles say, we're starting Diaz. Mountcastle from day one. We're starting these 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 young pitchers from day one. Um, <clears throat> you know, because I happen to think if those guys were healthy, they would all be up by this point in the season anyway. So I, I get the idea. I'm not really necessarily concerned about any of their service time because, like, for me, the players that I'll get really concerned about service time are the elite of the elite prospects the guys like hall or rutchman or or hopefully rodriguez now yes yes if you can steal 15 games for for especially for diaz and mountcastle you know i yes i i guess you do that just you know why not but i i personally wouldn't mind throwing throwing them all into it but at the end of the day i think that um i think you start with these young kids if you can i mean i mean you're not gaining anything with malone and, and leblanc um you know, you would have gained something earlier in the season because, you know, these guys, they could go to the minor leagues and pitch for a little bit, you know, get some, you know, work on their their secondary stuff. Aiken can work on his control, but they can't go anywhere to work on this stuff right now. So what's the point? You know, it's a lot easier for the hitters to be able to go do it, I think, than the pitchers. Um, so let the let let them let the pitchers just come up and just go because otherwise you're not developing them this year. Uh, in a 162-game season, we had seven relievers we thought were likely locks. Givens, Harvey, Scott, Blyer, Castro, Armstrong, and Fry. 82-game season, I think, again, those seven are locks, and you have room for four more. Uh, for me, it'd probably be uh, Cody Carroll, Dylan Tate, uh, Brandon Klein, and then uh, the last one being either LeBlanc, Malone, or uh, potentially a loafer. Uh, you know, how about for you? Um, I think that they make sure 
that LeBlanc and Malone will stay on the team um, for innings purposes. Um, I I could see that, especially because I just don't think they're going to have a lot of these guys going deep into games for a while. And I don't think they're going to expose them. They're not going to release them or anything. I think right now, especially with Alex Cobb, you never know what's going to happen with him, with the injuries that he's had recently. Lothar is an interesting one out of the pen for me because I think that he needs to get starts this year at the major league level. And there's absolutely zero reason to believe that Wojciechowski is going to continue to be worth having in the rotation. So for me, I would have, I personally would like to see Lothar, Aiken, and Kremer rounding out the rotation. So if you're going to keep them, I think you figure out a way, you know, maybe maybe Lothar is in the taxi squad, but I, I, I think he ha- you have to make sure that he's throwing and everything else because I think you end up going to him relatively early in this abbreviated season. I think one of the easy things you else could do, and I also would like to see Lothar over Wojciechowski. I just didn't expect they would have Aiken, Kramer, and him in the rotation, but I'd love to see it. And one of the easy things the Orioles could do, it would be to have Wojciechowski, LeBlanc, and Malone in the bullpen and kind of use those guys in tandem, mm-hmm. uh, uh, team, team them up. Uh, yeah, you give your younger guys the experience they need against competition, and then you're protecting them some with, uh, with some other arms capable of going additional innings. Of course, if you're carrying 11 relievers, <laughs> you should have the ability – and you only have an 82-game season. There shouldn't be anybody tired out. Uh, you, you should be good to go. Yeah, and 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 the other thing is, is like I said, for for I think for a while you're going to see some of these guys on 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 limited pitch counts and stuff like that, much more so than a normal season. So, a guy like guys like Kremer and Lothar and all, they can basically be openers. You know, they can come out and throw three or four innings their first three or four starts. And those other veteran pitchers can come in and, and throw their three or four innings or whatever, like you said. And then you, you know, then you move into the back part of your bullpen. But I think I don't see why there would be any innings restrictions, say, starting by, you know, the early part of August or so. Once these guys get to that point, they should be able to go six plus if they're performing well. But in the beginning, sure, why not? And then as this little abbreviated season goes on, then you can continue to adjust and, and, and see what you want to do. So part of it's just my desire to see baseball, but the other part of it is I'm actually pretty excited to potentially see an 82-game season, 30-man <laughs> active rosters, and particularly with this Orioles team, which uh, in this new Eastern Division, combined American League, National League, <coughs> we predicted to finish last by everybody. I think uh, their primary issue, the rotation can be minimized by some of the quality arms they have in the bullpen. I certainly wouldn't expect the Royals to be good or maybe even decent, but I don't think it's totally out of the realm that they could surprise and be 500-ish. I wouldn't make the prediction, but I think <coughs> my probably prediction would probably be somewhere 30 and 52, but uh, you know, it doesn't won't take much to be exceed expectations and be close to 41 wins. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could see them. I could see them winning 30 ish games. Um, I, I think the, the thought process that the Orioles were tanking 2020 is wrong. Um, I think it's fair to say they were tanking 2020, I mean, 2019, but 
2020 was a year that I think that their plan was they were going to start having a lot of these young kids come up. Now, that doesn't mean that they were going to perform but or stay healthy. But these, the, these guys are the foundation for this team uh, going forward in a lot of ways. And I think this was the year where they were going to start taking a look at several of these guys. They, they couldn't take a look at them last year because they weren't ready. So you had a lot of these quadruple-A type players playing, and the Orioles didn't make any attempt to get better players. So I can understand the tanking argument for that. But I don't think they were trying to tank this year. I think they legitimately were going to try to move the, the, the organization in a step, in a, you know, move it forward. It doesn't necessarily mean it would have translated to wins, but a 60-win season does not look the same. Not every 60-win season looks the same. Um, not every 50-win season looks the same. So... Who are you ending with? What pieces do you have? What experience did you gain? Yeah, they can look vastly different. Uh, Diaz, Lofer, Bauman, Summer Meeting, Wells. If we're throwing in Aiken and Kremer, do you think uh, Taxi Squad or not, do you think they all wind up getting Major League time? Uh, I don't know if all of them will. I think there's a good chance that a lot of them will. Um, <coughs> I think you have to... You know, there are probably going to be, obviously, there's going to be guys that'll have injuries and, you know, it'll be, you know, the, the one thing about, you know, the shortened season is, is if you miss a month or six weeks, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of toast. Um, there, there's very little, there's going to be very little incentive to bring you back, especially if you're a young arm, especially if they have a extended Arizona fall league and they can then just turn around and say, we're just going to send you here. And, you know, we're just going to end your season. So I, I, I think there's there's some of that uh, that'll happen. You know, not everything's going to go smoothly. Obviously, it just never does. <laughs> but I do think we see a lot of them come up. I think it's very unlikely that we come away thinking that any of these guys are definitive long-term answers um, to get on, on such a shortened season. Um, you know, so that's the, that's a, again, that's one of the disappointments of this year is I, I don't think you come in, you know, a guy like Austin Hayes, for example, ended last year really strongly and it, it gives you hope that he can continue to do it. But I didn't enter this year just assuming that Austin Hayes was going to be a regular just because he was really good at in, for a month, month and a half. So that's going to be kind of the same thought process. Now, it, it might allow you to say, hey, you know what? Use Neil Diaz, put up an 800 OPS. Let's stick him in. You know, he's, he's got the right field job for next year. But beyond that, I'm not going to feel any more confident about these guys uh, going forward without seeing more of a sample size. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of the key. I, think, I don't think anybody will be able to have a definitive grasp on – those aforementioned young guys were Alberto, Ruiz, Nunez. Um, but I think we'll have a firmer grasp on who each of them are. You know, their experience will be increased, at least with, with those guys. And then the younger ones uh, will have had some exposure. It's not going to be completely telling, but we'll have a, a better sense of who they are uh, as we look and go into 2021. Um just kind of larger MLB thoughts there. Uh, and we've touched on this before, but you know, while I like the 162 game season, I like kind of the marathon that it is. I like having baseball every night. Uh, I think if they play 82 game season, I think a lot of fans are going to like the condensed year. Um, I don't ever expect the, uh, major league baseball to reduce their season, you know, basically in half. But I do think we'll wind up uh, – the one ramification will be 
a reduction in total games. You know, some number to be determined. Well, you know, we talk about from this COVID nineteen stuff on how business and everything is going to look different. Uh, I, I don't know why we should assume that sports should be exempt from that. Uh, I, I know that there's a lot of money involved, and, and that has to get worked out. But if Major League Baseball went down to a 145 to 155 game type season, um, you ended in the you know the the early to mid portion of September, add some more playoffs for for you know teams or whatever for 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 the extra revenue money that you lose. Um, you know, I, I, I think that would be better personally. Um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how <clears throat> the viewer, I mean, the viewership should be pretty good. Uh, this is the one thing about these players and the owners, they really got to figure this out because you're going to have a solid month probably unless the NBA happens to come back too, but even that's only going to be sporadic, but you're going to have a solid month or two where you're going to be the only game in town. And you know you can really get a lot of eyes. Content. Yep. I mean, look the 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 Tiger Woods, uh, Peyton Manning, uh, Mickelson Brady match the other day got a huge rating, highest ever for a golf program and on cable. I mean that that's insane. That was an exhibition with no fans. You know they had one hole where they could only play with one club, and so it wasn't even super serious. Yet they got a huge viewership from it. The NFL draft just got the best ratings they've ever had. It, for a lot of people, that's one of the most boring things you can potentially watch. So, the idea that you're able that they're able to do this and have and have content for people to to both talk about and watch and everything else is huge, and they've got to figure it out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I I think that this is you know if this is successful, Major League Baseball has to seriously look into the idea of maybe a shorter season is what's going to be better for us for viewership. So last thing, uh, Forbes, uh, uh, Maury Brown, he had an article about potential Major League uh, Baseball expansion uh, somewhat as a result of uh, COVID and the idea being uh, just for expansion fees that there were two new teams, each existing franchise would walk away of approximately $66 million in expansion fee, fees which would certainly go a long ways into uh, alleviating any strain that they encountered this year, which is more of, of we're still going to be profitable. It's just how much, uh, you know, I kind of want to see that expansion on one sense because myself, I'd like to see radical realignment and that brings us one step closer. Also this year playing with these combined divisions, I think it gives you kind of a, a glimpse of what that would be like. But um, I understand many people don't want to see one more teams in the game when there's such a uh, limited amount of pitching throughout the game. There's a feeling that it's watered down enough. Uh, your general thoughts on expansion? Well, I, I've been, yeah, I, I mean, in the past, I've been more for contraction than expansion. <clears throat> but I will say this <clears throat> the game is changing, and the watered down pitching thing is a fair concern. However, I don't know that it's a concern if you're going to start seeing teams, more teams going to openers, more teams going to, you know, the idea of, of using your pen more and more because the real, the real issue with pitching is, is the lack of starting pitching and, and, and even beyond starting pitching, really good starting pitching. 
there are only so many guys out there that you can rely to give you six plus innings a night and give you sub four ERAs. They're, they, they're, they're, they're just not that many of them. And <clears throat> some of that has to do with the players having an all or nothing attitude at bats, a lot more base runners, a lot more pitching, a um, lot more home runs, a lot more strikeouts. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> but I think that when the game, as the game evolves, the way it appears that it's going, <clears throat> I think that that excuse of diluted pitching becomes less of an issue. Um, I just wonder, you know, I, I, I would guess, I would think that there's enough talent overall throughout the world that you could bring out two more, um, two more teams. But I also, you know, whether that's what's best for the game or not. You know, who knows? I mean, look, at the end of the day, if they if they gave two more teams, fans would complain maybe for a little bit. They, But it, it's not going to really change much. So we're going to move on to the NFL. But those of you looking for thoughts uh, from us on the uh, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, the uh, release of hundreds of Minor League Baseball players, uh, we point you to the site, baltimoresportsandlife.com. Check out the article from our colleague, Bob Harkins. Uh, pretty scathing indictment on Major League Baseball and some of their decisions there. Uh, but moving on to uh, the NFL, uh, earlier this week, ESPN came out with uh, their projections uh, utilizing their uh, football power index, basically their analytics uh, for the Ravens uh, and each of their uh, using their predictive model the Ravens are the favorite in all 16 of their regular season games so no expectations for the Ravens entering this year yeah um, <clears throat> you know on paper I think this is the best team we've ever seen in Baltimore now whether that translates or not who knows um, <clears throat> I think you can you know, no team is perfect. So, you know, is there a concern from the outside rush, pass rush potentially, interior offensive line? That That's probably where my biggest focus is, is what's going to happen there. There's lots of talk of, will Bozeman go to center? You know, are you going to have Powers, Bradison, you know, Fluker, who hasn't really lived up to his draft hype or anything like that? <clears throat> but <clears throat> overall, this team, oh, and they, they could use another legit weapon on the outside. But, but, Overall, this team is pretty loaded. Um, they had a great draft. They they kept a lot of guys. It, it's unfortunate that they lost Yonda. Obviously, that would really really make you feel very you know extra comfortable about this team. But they are um, they are a pretty loaded team, um, and they they are going to be a very very tough team to beat because to me the only thing that holds them back is if. Lamar Jackson does not take the step forward in the passing game that he needs to take. Um, but I don't see how anybody can watch this kid, can listen to him, can read about him or anything else and not feel that he won't take that step forward. So um, he's already take, made bigger strides than most people thought that he could make, including myself. So <clears throat> he, he's already proven a lot of people wrong. So there's no reason to continue to believe that he won't continue to, to do that. So um, I, I, 
I don't know if they'll be able to beat Kansas City in, in January or not. I mean, that that's the one team. Uh, I don't know if they'll – well, I don't know if they'll be able to beat Mahomes in January. Well, that that's to be seen. But I, I they're going to be – you know, there's a reason they're number two in, in all the power rankings because they are easily the second best and maybe the best team. Well, Kansas City is that one team. So the Ravens, uh, by ESPN's predictive <clears> – <throat> Model has a 17% chance to win the uh, Super Bowl. Uh, Kansas City leading the way at 21%. So I like that is as hyped up as the Ravens are this year, they are still not the overall favorite. That there's still some team that they have to point to. I like that they have Tennessee on their schedule as well. And, uh, you know, they could, they've you heard Harbaugh's comments yesterday about the roster being pissed off of their uh, loss to the Titans in the playoffs. Well, they need to have spent all off season and they need to spend uh, the regular season going out each week with a uh, kind of a prove it mentality where you, you cannot just pencil yourself into the AFC championship game against Kansas City. You know, I'm looking for a team that's uh, pissed off and wants to go prove themselves week to week. And one of the things that really excited me about last year was that until the Titans lost in the playoffs, they didn't mentally let down. They, they uh, once they got going, they the uh, they came to play each week. So I'm looking to see if that continues here in 20. Yeah, and I think that's the Lamar Jackson factor in a lot of ways. That um, his. His leadership on the field seems to be very infectious to both sides of the ball. Um, you know, I think that the, 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 the interesting thing, of course, with this team <clears throat> is no matter what they do in the regular season, <clears throat> everything's going to hinge on what happens in the postseason. I mean, you know, we're going to – Lamar, the, the biggest thing that's driving them and Lamar is that he's 0-2 in the playoffs. And he needs to prove that he can win in – in January. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Um, you know, you can be as great as you can be in the regular season, but if you can't win in January, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> and he needs to, you know, that's the, the elevation of his game that needs to happen. So, you know, yes, would it be great if they got a bye and if they won 13 or 14 games? Of course. Um, <clears throat> but win the division, get into the playoffs. I don't care where you're seated. Personally, Unless you're injured, I don't necessarily know that having the bye is that big of a deal, really, anyway. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, just put yourself in position to where you can, you know, where you can play, any, where you can beat anybody uh, and anywhere. The, the Ravens are set up to where they don't have to play at home to win, uh, but they have to prove that they can do it. So, who do you think is the third best team in the AFC? In the AFC? Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it's. The team that I would point to as a definitive answer for me personally, if I knew what they were going to get out of Rivers, is the Colts. Um, everything except for their quarterback position is pretty loaded in, in Indianapolis. But if Rivers shows his age and continues the downward trend that he showed last year, because let's not forget, two years ago, Rivers was really good. So if he is... If he can get back to where he was two years ago, the Colts are going to be an extremely difficult team to beat. <laughs> um, I think the Bills stay, have a case for that, for that number two spot, I mean, for that number three spot. <laughs> the Chargers have a case for that number three spot, depending on what they get out of quarterback. 
the, the Chargers are very similar to the Colts in that everything else about them is is pretty darn solid. But you have more faith in what the charge what the Colts have at quarterback than the Chargers, I think. Um, what about but, the argument for Pittsburgh if Ben is ninety percent? Uh, yeah, P- Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh certainly could be that. I I, I mean I. I'll be actually, to be honest with you, I'll be surprised if the AFC North isn't the best division in football next year. Um, everybody is all over the NFC West, which is it's a good division, but I'm not sure how good the Rams are going to be next year. I don't know if Arizona is going to take that big leap next year. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I think it's very likely that I, I think there is a chance that there's three AFC playoff teams in the, in the North and that and that Cincinnati wins five or six games. Um, <clears throat> that Cincinnati roster, that Cincinnati roster wasn't really that bad last year. They they were decimated by injuries, bad quarterbacking, and stuff like that. But I, I, they're not a bad roster. And Burrow, who knows? Um, but I, I think the the Browns have a very good roster. But yeah, I absolutely. I mean, look, it's all about Ben. I mean, if if Roethlisberger, what else do the Colt do the Steelers need? So I'm looking at uh, ESPN's predictions and. Their third best team in the AFC is New England, which surprises me. Uh, they give the Patriots a 60% chance of making the playoffs, projecting their win total at 8.6, so basically nine wins. Uh, I, I'm not totally down on the Patriots. I'll, I believe the defense, which I think was – basically overrated last year, is still good enough. Belichick is Belichick that they can be competitive, but it would surprise me pretty pretty uh, strongly if they're the third best team in the conference. Yeah, I I mean, look, you, you never know how good a guy like Stidham could be, right? I mean, we just don't know. Could he explode onto the scene and, I mean – Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick just like Stidham was. I mean, you know, is is there anything that's 100% saying that Stidham can't be what Prescott was in the beginning of his career? I mean, who knows, right? I mean, we just we just don't know. As of right now, I don't see how you can predict that. I, I really don't. I mean, look, I love Belichick. I think Belichick was more important to their success than Brady, and that's no that, that's no knock on Brady at all. It's just I just it, – it's <clears throat> that system that he has <clears throat> is pretty incredible. But you're talking about a team that's in cap hell. Uh, a team that's not overly talented. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I just have a hard time seeing them. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, you know, people have said, oh, you know, maybe they can end up with Trevor Lawrence. I, I, I don't see how there's a chance that they, that that team, even if Stidham is terrible, I still see that team winning at least four or five games to where they can't, they're, they're not going to be able to tank. But I, I'd be surprised if they even beat out Buffalo for the division, much less be the third best team. Um, so I, I, I just don't see that. So uh, some of the discussion on the board and a couple articles locally uh, talking about Ronnie Stanley and uh, potential contract extension there. Stanley, by all the analytics, had a great year at left tackle last year. Um, certainly by any measure is one of the better left tackles in the game. Obviously, it's important, highly important to build, uh, you know, I think I've said previously that I like seeing teams built from the lines out, so I certainly value linemen. Um, I'm a little <clears throat> apprehensive by the fact that, you know, we're talking about paying him as the 
top lineman in the game. Uh, and obviously, how he was impacted by the contract extension of uh, uh, Tunzel. So, where are you with Stanley? Uh, wh- what are you doing? Do you have any problem with paying him as the top left tackle in the game? You know, <clears throat> first of all, <clears throat> any of this discussion has to be, you know, prefaced by the idea of we have no idea what's going to happen with the salary cap or what the what the implications are going to be of COVID-19 on the NFL season and everything. I mean, there's been talk that they could drop the, the, the salary cap down $20, $30 million. And obviously that starts impacting what kind of contracts you give out and everything else. But all of that being equal, um, <clears throat> you know, you brought up the point uh, several times about, you know, was he good because he's that good or was it the Lamar Jackson factor? Um <clears throat> I guess you could argue that that maybe Jackson is the factor, but also maybe that offense was set perfectly to his skill set and his skill set. You know, you don't want to lose that. I I think there's something to be said that you wait to see what happens this year Um, because you will be able to franchise him. You actually can franchise him for the next two seasons after next year if you want to. Um, And since the tackles are put in with everybody else on the offensive line, it's not like the tackle money is going to be so crazy high that, you know, your cap can't can't handle it. So I think for me, I I would unless he's going to sign a deal that makes sense, meaning Laramie Tunsil's deal never happened, um, unless he's going to sign a deal that is like, okay, yeah, you have to sign this. I, I think that I would probably wait out this year see how he plays again in the system again, you know, and then see what the salary cap implications are and then go from there. And if you have to franchise him, then you franchise him. Um, You know, I think it's for sure that he, unless he just holds out an entire year, he's going to be a Raven in 2021. Um, It's just a matter of, will he be a Raven in 2022 or 2023? Uh, There's been talk about the Jets trading Jamal Adams. Uh, I loved him coming out of good college. Uh, everything we've seen from him as a pro is he's one of the truly elite secondary players. Would love to have him. I'm not totally afraid of the proposed asking price of a one and a three. Uh, it feels a little pipe dreamish, but uh, if you could acquire him, I, I believe that you're, uh, you've said <coughs> that would be something that you would uh, love to see the Ravens do. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. <clears throat> you know, it's it's obviously the combination of what he's going to get, what what kind of contract it's going to take to keep him, and then what what it will cost to get him in trade. What they're asking for and what they may end up getting could be two different things. Um, I, I would definitely not be opposed to giving up a first round pick for him. Um, that that wouldn't that would be a that wouldn't even be a hesitation, especially since you're probably picking, you know, twenty eight or twenty eight to thirty two next year. Um, I, I would easily give up a first-round pick for him. Um, I probably would do a first and a third. Um, but the contract could be prohibitive. Now, the other side to that is when you obtain him, there's a, there's a relatively decent chance that he's automatically the second-best player on this team. Um, and that you say, hey, you know what? Marlon Humphrey or Ronnie Stanley, we love you, but we like Adams more. And... <clears throat> We're going to keep him and one of you, but we're not going to keep both of you. Um, so I don't, 
I, I think it kind of depends on how I, I think the, 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 the specter of, of this COVID-19 and, and, and your salary cap dropping, hanging over them probably prevents something like this from happening because you just don't know what you're what you can do. You know, if it ends up being I mean, the talk was before all this happened that the salary cap was really going to jump up in the next few years. So if that was the case, then it would be really easy to obtain him and sign. him. But um, but with not knowing that, I, I don't know that you can pull this deal off right now. But I, I tell you what, I, I if I were the Ravens, I you know, next year you can cut Earl Thomas. Yes, it's 10 million in dead money, but you'll still save six million. I, I would I would jump at the chance to get the kid if you can get him. There was some talk at the board of, well, could you potentially use uh, Judon as a piece to uh, land Adams? Uh, general thought being Judon is a uh, productive but non-elite player, uh, not likely to be a long-term signing of the Ravens, uh, but an asset. Uh, what were your thoughts on that with the with the idea of the pass rush for the Ravens, even with uh, bringing in Campbell on at the uh, interior of the line, seems a little bit of a question mark, at least outside. And uh, Judon's importance there versus in a year where it's kind of Super Bowl or bust, you do have a quality secondary as is. Yeah, I, 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 I'd still rather have Adams. Uh, I mean, Adams had seven sacks last year himself. So he was only a few sacks away from what Judon gave you. Obviously, it's a different type. Um, you know, you have to bring him on a blitz and stuff like that. But Judon doesn't usually win one-on-one either. You know, I mean, you know, every one of his sacks came because the Ra- on, on a Ravens five-man rusher or, or, or more. So I, I think that um, – I don't think Judon gets, helps you unless you're able to trade Judon for a second-round pick and you use that second-round pick to get Jamal Adams. But I don't think you can send, say, Judon in a second-rounder to the, to the Jets and you get Jamal Adams. But um, I think that I, I think that. Um, but if you're if you're saying player for player, I, I take Adams every day. It wouldn't even be a hesitation. I, I mean, there, there there was an article that I saw um, where you know showing how a lot of uh, college defenses and some pro defenses are starting to use more like a three safety uh, lineup a lot now, and and one of them's basically dropping down the linebacker, like we saw in the Ravens did that a lot last year with guys like Chris Clark. Um, I, I'm, I would be ecstatic to have, I mean, good luck trying to throw on that team, uh, pass rusher, you know, struggling pass rusher, not with, with those guys back there along with Jamal Adams. I mean, I, I, I don't even know if you need a pass rush at that point, as long as you can stop the run, what, who's going to throw on you? Uh, so I think that's most of our topics for the week. Any, uh, last or random thoughts for you, Rob? No, I, I, I think it's, uh, <clears throat> I think, it, you know, going back to baseball for a second, I, I, I guess it sounds like we'll know about a week within the next week if this is going to happen or not. So, you know, we can all hope for that and then let's move forward with that. And then, um, you know, all Orioles fans, you know, eyes can be on the draft. Uh, we're, we're about two weeks away from the draft to see what the Orioles are going to do with that second pick. And more importantly, even, you know, the idea of, of having the, the, the largest uh, – draft pool and and have and and being able to spend it on six players hopefully they can add some guys that have dropped too and we can really get a nice influx of top young talent even if we don't get the uh the quantity of picks that we're used to having uh yeah my only final thought is uh check out the site again baltimoresportsandlife.com our colleague uh zach kiesel he's got a uh 
starting his positional previews uh, for Terps football, has a look at the quarterbacks. We mentioned Bob Harkin's article up today about the uh, uh, minor league baseball players that were cut. And uh, Dr. Stephen Loftus, he's got a number of articles up on uh, on the MLB <coughs> draft looking at both uh, uh, first round uh, in-depth there as well as comp A and second round options for the Orioles. And uh, we spent good time uh, in this podcast talking about uh, uh, looking towards the Kansas City, them being the defending Super Bowl champions. Mike Randall did a article two days ago kind of breaking down uh, how the Ravens compare against KC. So check that out. Uh, more articles coming every day. Join us at the message board. Uh, for Rob and I, our thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.